0: welcome to calibrate conversations a podcast about embracing god's standard for sexuality i'm your host brady Cohn, and joining me today is logan what's going on today logan uh well I'm here now. So. Yes. So so Logan uh I met you here in Kansas City at a church I spoke at and we h- sat down afterwards and had like a 90 minute heart to heart and we covered all kinds of deep things and I was really encouraged by your life and uh some of the things that you had wrestled with and you're really taking seriously and the depth to which you had thought through and prayed through and wrestled through what was going on in your life And so I really thought that you could be an encouragement to others. And so I'm really excited today to hear your story, and we can then flesh out a little bit of what it looks like to uh, walk with God and to
1: live inside the church and live in community while we struggle with some of these issues. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's important to kind of preface a lot of my story and background with just the fact that I grew up in a very, very masculine environment. I have six brothers and no sisters, um, which makes it very very difficult to have any sort of um femininity, femininity in the household like to um for that to be okay yes, yeah, there's a certain mold
0: uh, that they're expected to fit to be a man
1: it, exactly exactly, and I'm also right in the middle um so I've got the full mm. range of experience mm. from older and younger brothers um so you're the forgotten middle child yes <laughs> yes um so as I was um Growing up, it it was it was that that masculine, hyper masculine environment. Um, once I came into about eighth grade, I had already had um, a couple of issues in terms of um, sexual cravings and using pornography. Um, but I had stayed the night at a friend's house at one point, and he. Um, he started to take his clothes off and I found myself enjoying watching and, um, it was a really, really, uh, shaking moment for me because, you know, I, I had grown up this whole time thinking like, I'm going to marry a woman and I'm going to have four kids. And I had already planned out mm-hmm. a bunch of my life. Um, I'm a really, really big planner. Um, I think I had 15 years at all times and, Um, I just I just find it easy and comfortable to do that because um, I'm very goal oriented and I I like to see things accomplished and I know what I want. Um, So in this moment, whenever I am suddenly struck by um, these desires that are completely against everything that I know, um, it was (laughs) it was really frightening. Um, So I I go home that night and um, I'm not really quite sure what to do. Um so I I kept it to myself and this was the summer of 8th grade so I was about to go into high school where um we experience a range of new things but um it was it was it was just very very difficult I remember in the 7th grade I had a friend who had come out to me as gay um he was one of my one of my close friends and I told him Titus I I love you but uh I I don't think that that's what God has in mind for your life. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling this um same thing myself and I I am just like heartbroken because I'm thinking, man, I just told him exactly what mm-hmm. I would probably tell myself. Um and so so I'm really really dealing with this uh hypocrisy within myself of um what I know to be true. I've always loved Jesus and strived after God and gone to church as much as I can. Um, but I, I decided to deny him in this moment, it seemed. So I went through high school. Um, nobody, nobody knew for, for several years. It was something that I planned to take to my grave as, as a lot of people think. Um, and there were, there were many nights a week that I would find myself uh, that I would cry myself to sleep, mm. uh, praying and asking God, please, please take this away. I don't want this. I know you don't want this. Please give me some reprieve from this. Um, I I will do whatever it takes. Just please take it away. Um, and, you know, that um, never really seemed to happen. So um, I get all the way to my, my senior year, um, still this consistent... Um, discontentment with uh the way that I am and um having these carnal desires that I don't want and trying to push them away. Um in the midst of struggling with with pornography and going through puberty and um social anxiety and all of these different things. Um so in this in my senior year, um my youth pastor at the time, he had received a job offer in Indianapolis and so he had left. Um, so, a new youth pastor was um kind of put in place he um he hadn't attended our church before, so I had no idea who he was but um, I had the chance to meet him for only a week, and I just in my head i'm like i'll I'm just going to tell him and see what happens um so i I had texted him because he had he had offered um he's like, if you ever need to." Um, talk about something, then like please tell me, and so I I texted him and I asked him I'm like can we can we talk, and he said sure, he's like do you want to come to my apartment at uh, this time on this day I was like that would be awesome thank you, um, and so I had my mother drive me because um, I still didn't have a license by the time I was eighteen, um, but I I got there and I was I was shaking and trembling I walked up these stairs. And I, I opened the door. He, he answered. he and his wife were there, and they kind of just invited me to sit down on the couch. And I once I sat down, I just started bawling and bawling for they couldn't get me to talk for an hour. Oh wow. Um, they, <laughs> they, I, I am sure that I freaked them out so much <laughs> at this moment because I, hmm. I can't imagine what I would do if somebody asked to talk to me and then walked into my house and cried for an hour. Um, I would think that they, they had like murdered someone like i um there's there's i i feel terrible because i know there's no way he was prepared Um, but that's what
0: happens when we keep a secret for so long. We build it up in our mind that becomes so hard to let out Yeah, and it just, it snowballs. I remember some of those exact conversations in my own walk where it's been so many years. I'm so ashamed and sat there and cried and cried before I could get the words out to someone because there's so much shame. Uh, and you build up in your mind, how will people respond and what's going to happen? And you just don't want to say the words
1: out loud. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's this guilt trap that we that we put ourselves into. Um, we think that nobody will understand, and nobody is going to um, kind of look to help us. They're just going to <laughs> shame us for for what um, for what we're doing, what we're thinking. Um, I found in that moment that um, at once, I once I was eventually able to talk. I. Um, found that it was it as much easier to just keep going once he had started and um it was very clear that he had not encountered this situation mm-hmm. before um he he just he didn't know what to say and so the the only words that i remember him saying are logan we love you and that's that's really all that's important um he's like he he didn't say anything about um about really sexuality at all. He's like, God loves you and we love you. Um, and we need you to know that. And, um, that's very, very comforting. But again, I'm this goal oriented person and I want solutions. Tell me what to do. Like give Um, me one
0: steps, one, two, and
1: three. (laughs) And so he, he has this, uh, this kid in high school go from crying on his couch to kind of like asking what, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? Um, and I told him, I was like, I have prayed for years on end for some solution to this problem. Um, and I don't think that it's because I'm not praying enough or I'm not reading the Bible enough or worshiping or tithing enough. It's like, I don't, I don't understand why um, I can't get this to go away. I've grown up in a church that tells me about this, these miraculous mm. conversions from homosexuality to heterosexuality. It's like, why can't I have that? Um And he, he really did not, um, it it seemed like he didn't really know what to say. And I don't, um, I don't at all blame him for that. It's, um, I don't, I don't know if I would know what to say if, um, somebody had asked me outright like that, but, um, it kind of started me down a really important journey of contentment about a year and a half later, I attended a church, um, about half an hour away from where i normally was i had spent the past three days um doing an incredible amount of research into um how the bible views homosexuality i had viewed all seven clobber passages i had constructed a 10-page google document trying to list out the every single possible translation of these words and what these different authors think um and, and the meanings that they derive from each of these passages, the etymologies of, mm-hmm. of all of these words. Um, because again, I just... You I wanted to figure it I out. I want answers. That is, mm-hmm. I, I love answers. Um, but what I found was like, I was just so discontent with all of the answers that I was finding. It wasn't necessarily that... Um, it wasn't necessarily that they were clear and I was discontent with it, but it was just that... Um, I was finding that the more I looked into it the more confused I seemed to become about what was right. I was trying to determine because I had seen so many people tell me that, you know, homosexuality is something that God is not against um mm-hmm. in some way. And so um between my church which is very traditional and my um the, the city that I live in and the school that I was in being very very progressive, I just I, di- I didn't know where I was supposed to be or where I was supposed to look. Um, so I, I prayed to God. I said, please give me an answer. Um, and I, in just about an hour from then, I looked at my phone and, um, on Instagram, there was a recommended post by, um, this young adult service. And it was inviting young adults to come there that night at 7 p.m. And so I said, "Okay, I don't know what this is, but I'll go." I mean, it's it's only half an hour away. Um and I go, I'm pretty uncomfortable just because it's a very large church. Um and I know nobody there. I I have no idea, you know, of of what this church is is really about, what denomination they are or what their beliefs are. Um but I I sit down in service. They they do some worship songs that I've I've never heard before and um the service starts and he says, tonight we're beginning a new series on marriage. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) well that's interesting. Um, and throughout the service, um, I was expecting to hear, um, something about courting and, and dating and how you're supposed to interact with your spouse. Um, how, how you, how you view them, things about things about lust and love, but The only thing, the, the only message that I can remember from that night was if you are not content in your relationship with God, you will never be content in any relationship. Um, and I was, I was pretty shaken. I, um, I really kind of despised that answer. (laughs) It was, it was just like, uh, the answer was be content. Stop looking for answers. Like you already have it. Um, And, you know, I, I, I didn't appreciate that. I walked away from that service and I met a guy in that church. um, And for the first time I met somebody who was also dealing with same sex attraction. And he talked to me that night. Um, We talked for, for hours about all of the frustrations that come from this. Um, And he was kind of just echoing exactly what the message had. Just that contentment is, is all you need. Um, in a relationship with Christ. And I've come to learn that a lot more over the past couple of years. It's it's definitely been a struggle. It's very difficult to rely on God all the time and to be content with not knowing the answers. Um, but I, I think that being comfortable, not knowing um, what the answers are always, not knowing why um, we deal with the struggles that we do, um, if you rely on God, it's, I mean, that's, it's it's a requirement. It's, it's very difficult. Um, but there's something very freeing about knowing, you know, I don't know the answers. I don't know what this, what my future looks like. Um, I don't know why this has been taken away, but I have to just trust that there's a a good purpose behind this. Um, I'd say that's a pretty, um, it's a summary of kind of what my journey has been. It's been all about this contentment.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think that there's there's value in a lifelong process of discipleship in which you allow God to, to reveal to you maybe some of the lies that you've believed, some of the ways your heart has twisted uh, sexuality to desire what you want to do, but also that you trust and have contentment in the moment that we are none of us are fully sanctified on this side of the cross mm-hmm. and none of us will be fully healed until you know the other until we're in heaven and so it's a very big balancing act of like man like if god can provide me with some answers then that's great and if there's something i need to change in my life if there's a lie that i have believed that i need to exchange for his truth then i want to be open to that but i want to have contentment in the process and be fully surrendered to God's grace and his truth and his expectations each and every day even if i don't fully understand uh what's happening in my heart and um and so there's there's all these ditches we can go in on one side or the other and the the one side says where you naturally go is, I have to have it all figured out and we don't trust in God and we get anger and bitter towards God. Mm. And then the other ditch we can go into is that, well, I'm going to figure nothing out. I'm just going to trust in Jesus. And we end up with a very shallow faith in mm. which uh, uh, lacks depth and we miss out on some sanctification opportunities over the course of our lifetime. But the hard road and the most fruitful road is in the middle there where you have both where he said, I'm going to allow God to give me understanding in his time over the course of my lifetime. And over the course of my lifetime, I might understand my own heart and my own sin more. Uh, and But in the meantime, however much understanding God gives me, I'm going to have contentment with him. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to submit to him. And I'm going to fully rest in God's grace in the process. Hmm. And and that's a freeing road to go down. And uh, we, we all have a tendency to want to take one extreme or the other, whereas there's this tension in the middle. There's this tension in the middle where uh, it's like— Uh, God can help me figure this out a little bit, but I'm okay with if he doesn't do that right now. Uh, and so there's, there's that tension of kind of anticipation and waiting on God and working through the process, uh, but being content with where the process is at. And that, that's a lot of tension to hold, but there's also so much grace there as you go on this, this journey with God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really, um, it is it is certainly a fine fine line to walk. Something that I I hadn't mentioned um, was that um, my my career goals have always um, like like I've said I I have always been a planner. I love to plan fifteen years ahead. Um, when I was in middle school, this was um, in the seventh grade. I felt called to missions, and this was something that um, I really I was like yes, this is the only time I feel like the Lord has directly spoken to me. Um, and it was, it was a call into missions and within the year I, I kind of ignored that and forgot about it. And I was planning on, yeah, I'm going to do my medical stuff that I had already been planning. Um, and the reason why is because I was, I was terrified of it. Um, I was like, I don't want to go to a new place where I won't have my friends and family that I've always known. Um, and the idea of um, not having heterosexual attraction terrified me even more because when I finally started to accept this idea of missions, now it was it's i'm also i'm I'm going overseas. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be in a, in a realm that I do not understand with people that I do not know. I'm not surrounded by family, not surrounded by friends, but even now it's like, I'm not going to be able to have a family the way that I had imagined it. I'm not going to have the kids that I had planned on having. It's, um, it felt like there was so much loss. Mm. Um, -hmm. it was, um, it's it's i don't think it's comparable to um to job in the way that it's like i never had this (laughs) yeah but it still feels like you know i've had this future that i had planned out stripped away um in order to make room for whatever it is that god's doing um and i in my in my pride it's really difficult for me to see it's like yeah whatever god is planning it's probably better than anything i could imagine Amen. Um, But still, there's a grieving
0: process when our dreams die. And that's where for people with same-sex attraction or who are living the gay lifestyle, who repent, there are such heavy burdens to bear. And it feels like so much death that has to happen and so much loss. And there's burdens to bear that, that, that Christians need to come alongside us and bear those burdens. Just like we all have different burdens at different levels. And uh, these are just unique burdens that we need Christians to bear with us. And it does feel like a lot of sometimes grieving and a lot of loss, loss of our future dreams, loss of what our expectations were, a loss of what sometimes our family or our church expected of our lives. There's a lot of levels of grieving and loss of what we wanted for our lives and obviously following Jesus is worth it and God's plan is so much better than anything we could have imagined but we still need to kind of grieve and be shepherded as we work through uh what we're going to give up to follow Jesus.
1: Yeah. Um I think that's another one of the the big factors in like how hard it is to to admit some of these um, some of these feelings to people because it's like once you admit them, they, they become real. Um, they, they become a factor of your life that you're going to have to account for. Um, I spent those years like praying because I didn't want that to be part of my future. I didn't I didn't want that to be something that I have to, to deal with later on. Um, but once I, once I had admitted it and the, the final nail sort of in this, um, this coffin of admittance was, um, speaking to my parents about it. It's Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk to their parents about sex. It's it's just weird a lot of Uh the time. Um, but, um, it was, that's, it was it's what it's why the talking with your parents is just so difficult it's because these are the people that that you look up to and that have also been planning your life for you um they raised you for for probably 18 years and you you don't want to disappoint in any way i remember that um my my parents have always expected that all of us will um will have children And they, they love the idea of a big family. Like I said, uh, seven boys, um, and having to talk to them was really, it, it felt like I was denying them something also. Um, I, I spoke to them. My mother took it. Okay. Um, the first thing my dad said, uh, was in reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, Um, that's a great first passage to bring up. Yeah. It, uh. It certainly showed me how he how he felt at the moment, yeah. Um, and that that makes it even harder. It's like yeah. I want to. It's like I have to be the good guy in so many ways. It's I have to um, demonstrate humility in the fact that I know some people aren't going to understand. But I also have to demonstrate righteousness and holiness by way of not letting myself um, get caught in this trap. And in another way, I have to demonstrate that. Um, I am, I am broken and in need of healing, but I also have problems that other people think are worse than other ones. Um, I had, I had talked to you about this before, but thinking about um, how the church would deal with my sin Mm -hmm. as compared to another person's Mm -hmm. um, I had, um, there was, there was a member of leadership um, on our young adults team and he had been fornicating and I spoke to our pastor and I said, if I had even like kissed a man, <laughs> I can't imagine that I would still be on leadership. I think that the level of, of um, sort of reprimand and, and punishment would just be so much greater than anything that anybody else could do, even though they're, they're clearly acting in an um, extra biblical way. Um, and so it's it's just this eggshell walk Absolutely. all the time, um, and it's a lot of pressure to put on a person um, at the age of being a, at, at being a teenager. Absolutely. Um, you know, one time, I I had a season of life where I, I fell
0: into sin and it was bad, and I had to repent. There's consequences, and I'm I'm thankful for people who held me accountable. And I I this kind of falling into sin, and months later, I I kissed a guy. And I did tell the wise counsel and pastors in my life what happened. But when I told them, I was actually encouraged. I was encouraged by like, man, this guy kissed me. I, but I quickly stopped it. I didn't let it go any farther and I was not enticed by it. I didn't want it. I saw where this was going to go and I want Jesus instead. And, uh, and i was really encouraged by the growth that had experienced my life and how this didn't entice me like it would have previously but the people in my life kind of freaked out and you know the the thought of me kissing a guy it's like just it was like you know Sodom and Gomorrah the world's yeah. ending and i was so frustrated and it, cuz it's like you know you, you don't take you know heterosexual guys in nearly this seriously And they said, well, you know, a a heterosexual guy kissing a girl, it might be sin, but it might not be. But we know that when you kiss a guy, it is sin. And I I was really frustrated that they weren't seeing the growth, and they weren't seeing the dying to myself, and they weren't celebrating with me what God was doing in my life. They could not move past the fact that I kissed a guy. And it was really, really frustrating. And I think that's a teachable moment for the church to not hold us to standards and expectations that they don't hold other people to. And some people, they need to hold to higher expectations. Yeah. And then there's some of us, they hold to probably too high of expectations. And, uh, we, we need to be able to fit in with the rest of the guys. And we already feel so ostracized. We already feel like we don't belong. Like there's no place for us in this group of men. And so we, we need to level the playing field a little bit. And, um, uh, take people's sin seriously, absolutely. but take all people's sin seriously.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. um the the division of of um, sort of categories of sin is is just so harmful in so many ways. Um, it it really kind of dismisses the idea of all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. it's it's some of sin more and some of sin less when when in reality, it's like it's just, we're all sinners. It's a level playing field. Absolutely. Um, We are all at fault in some way, and we are all in need of the grace of God. And at the heart of it, we've all twisted sexuality in some way. And we all
0: idolize after people. It's just the object of our idolatry is different. And we have different ways where our heart bends towards idolizing a person. And for uh, some people, it's a man that they try to find their hope in. And some people it's a woman, but it's all idolatry. It's all placing this person in a place in your life where they don't belong. And um there's but there's there's extra burdens for people with same-sex traction. And we need uh um to really yeah kind of level that playing field. And for me in my life the most healing I had was connection with completely heterosexual men who, uh, loved me as I was, who didn't see any difference in me. Like we're on this journey together. And one of my best friends, Tyler and Carney was one of those guys. And, uh, my friend Jason, uh, here in Kansas city and my friend Toby, and there's so many of them where, you know, it feels like sometimes the only guys we can relate to are the other guys with same-sex attraction we kind of gravitate towards we really want community with them because they understand and that's great sometimes that's helpful to have guys who understand same-sex attraction who have been there experienced that but the most healing i experienced in my life was from heterosexual men hmm. who didn't see me different who didn't treat me as different i'm just one of the guys and they didn't put on this macho expectation of masculinity uh you no, know, And they just, they didn't see me as different and they included me in the world of men. Mm. And, and those were some big healing moments.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we all put a bunch of different labels, um, on everything that we are and kind of, um, divvy everything up as, uh, because we are all in need of like different and distinct solutions. Um, I remember that, I had once had a conversation um, with a couple of friends and one of them had admitted to having this sort of sexual sin. And then another one had admitted to being a klepto. Mm. Um, He he was having trouble with with this desire. Um, Whenever he would walk into a store, he would find himself unable to control um, what he was doing. And he felt so alone because there was this division of what sin is and um, what it looks like. He had heard, um, all sorts of things in the church about lots of different sins, like lying, stealing, lying, cheating, stealing, um, and including lust. But like the, the cheating part or the stealing part wasn't really, um, anything ever expanded upon. It was, it was never really looked at as, um, more than just like, you know, just don't steal from the store. It's, it's as simple as that. But, Mm -hmm. but in the same way that we struggle with, um, that we might struggle with something like sexual desire. It's, it's so easy to struggle with literally anything else. Absolutely. Um, and and then just her.
0: want to, uh, sometimes in the church, we just want to c- people to control their behavior without getting to the heart of what's going on. Right. And so it's like, just behave in a certain way, but that doesn't lead to heart level transformation and contentment with Christ.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, we know what we need to do, but, but how do we do it? Absolutely. How do we get there? Absolutely. Um,
0: yeah. Um, how have you felt last couple of years as you've been a little more honest within your church? and just feeling like you're included in the world of masculinity how have you had to come to peace with your masculinity of maybe it's okay that i'm a little bit different than other guys and so many times we don't value guys who are artistic who are sensitive and we look at some of those things as being feminine qualities and we put up these false fences and boundaries to exclude some of the guys from the world of masculinity and the world of men. And that makes same sex traction so much worse because then when we feel excluded by all the men, we're even more desperate to connect with them at a heart level. Mm -hmm. And it's just this downward spiral that us, that our own heart contributes to, but sometimes other men contribute to, especially Christian men. So how have you come to rest in God's grace and accepting yourself for, who you are with your talents and abilities that God gifted you with for your personality that God gifted you with and, uh, not putting on false expectations of
1: what sometimes the world thinks masculinity is supposed to look like. Yeah. I never, so, so I've had this conversation with a couple of people before kind of discussing, um, what masculinity really looks like in a, in a guy. And, Um, What you what traits you kind of traditionally expect. Um, And I've never been a particularly feminine guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I've managed to, um, if if you will, go under the radar um, for a for a good while. Um, just because I don't, I don't have anything that, that really stands out as being like when um, people meet you, they wouldn't think, Oh, he's gay. Like that's right. not the case at right. all.
0: Like I never would have suspected that you were someone who, who struggled. And so we have to be careful not to use those stereotypes of it's, there's going to be at these outward mannerisms or, or things we think of as gay when, you know, that that's not the case so many times we just don't know that those are the people who are struggling
1: yeah exactly and it's it's interesting because there's so many of those traits that are like really valuable but we just we just don't um we don't appreciate them when they're uh put into the context of a man it's like things like even cleanliness Mm. um it's it's just i've never understood why that's um considered to be a um a quote-unquote gay thing yeah but it's it's like a lot of guys are are comfortable with um with having poor hygiene and it's not something that i'm that i'm like crazy about i'm not i'm not a big germaphobe um but it's 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 simple, like being able to clean your room at the end of the day. It's it's. Oh well, um, I never clean my room. It's kind <laughs> of a problem. But uh, um,
0: but yeah, there's there's so qualities that we don't value as being masculine or some we don't value men who exhibit them. They are actually a gift that are something that is God's gift to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, something that I've noticed a lot is um, I'm certainly more um, feeling than I think a lot of guys would, um, would claim to be. Um, I find myself crying much easier than a lot of guys would. Um, and, and I, I love to listen and to, to relate to, to all kinds of people. Um, and I don't really see, um, I think, I think a big benefit of having this sort of, um, sensitivity yeah this this sensitivity um but also being in a place where you're um, not required to exhibit masculinity or femininity explicitly means that my conversations with people are never changed on the basis of like their gender Mm, yeah Um, i've never had trouble connecting with women or Mm -hmm. or men really like it's it's always been just the same um which is which is a really big benefit for for things like ministry. It's Absolutely. you don't you don't require um, this this division or another person in the same role. Um, it's it's really interesting the the number of different um, traits that we kind of dismiss because of the um, the sexuality that we assign to them as being either straight or gay traits.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and then so many times guys perpetuate a form of masculinity that I like to call faux masculinity. It's just a fake masculinity of machoism. Hmm. And it's like that's not what God calls masculinity. That's not what God calls us to. They're and they're not do they're not accomplishing God's purposes with their masculinity. Like lighting they're just stuff on fire. Lighting stuff on fire, <laughs> going outside and being dumb, you know? Yeah. It's like I don't need to go outside and, and pee on a rock and act all dumb with the dudes to, you know, be a man. Right. I mean I do P outside a lot. Sorry, that's probably too much, too much information. My wife completely doesn't understand. It. I'll walk like, buy like three bathrooms to go outside and you know, do business. And it's like, uh, it's like, but that's not what makes me a man, you know? And so it's like, we don't have to go out and just be dumb with the guys that that's not masculinity. That's being a little boy. And it's, it's nice to have fun, but it's like, that's not masculinity. Masculinity accomplishes something for God's purposes. Mm. It leads to human flourishing It invests in our community and people gives us gives of ourselves for others. And that can look very different than the world's version of machoism. And so sometimes we confuse the two. So we should celebrate guys who are sensitive, uh, guys who are clean and organized, guys who um, have talents and abilities like music and acting and theater and just you know uh we should be celebrating those attributes in guys as part of their masculinity not thinking that that's a feminine quality and anti-masculine
1: yeah absolutely i don't think it's accidental in the slightest that god goes by a a pronoun of he and and absolutely. Him. it's um it's very clear that like, there's, there's intention behind that. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of the intention is um, the care that a father can give mm. and also the leadership that, like, masculinity is supposed to entail. Um, and I think a focus on that is is what we've lost a lot of. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, in a culture that is so confused with gender right now, it's not that we want to blur the lines between men and women. We want accurate views of what is a man and what is a woman and not um, not distort them the way that the world dis- has distorted them and the way that the church has distorted them. So we're, we're not at all suggesting to blur the lines between men and women even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, we just need more accurate, more biblical understanding of masculinity and femininity. I can never say that word right, so I always try to avoid it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> femininity. Uh, yeah, we need more accurate biblical views, not not to blur the boundaries even more, but actually just have the right boundaries and not exclude men from manhood because uh, um, of traits that are actually a gift to them and a gift to the church.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, another, another thing that I have thought a lot about is um, how we define um, a lot of the things we come to understand in terms of uh, sexuality. So, um, something you and I talked about at one point was the differences between like labels of, of SSA mm. and gay. Absolutely. Um, something that a more traditional evangelistic uh, evangelical church um, would be more accepting of is SSA, same sex attracted, um, because it's it's separating yourself from the idea of. Um, the, the LGBTQ yes. community. Yep. Um, and I've, I've wrestled a lot with how I feel about it because, um, currently a lot of people's view of LGBTQ within the church is pretty hostile. Yes. Um, it's, it's very difficult to find somebody who's compassionate towards those mm-hmm. groups in a, in a more traditional church, like the one I've grown up in. And so something that I've been trying to do is, is use the word, um, is use the word gay in a more um, common way um, in a casual way in um, telling people how or, or what it is that I'm dealing with within the church, because it kind of like puts them on uh, puts them on their back foot and they don't really know um, what to do because they're like, oh, does that mean this guy is like actively having sex with other men it's like no nor should that even matter it's like that's not what the church is supposed to be um really caring about when you first meet a person it's do you know jesus or not um, and we can we can get down to the details later on once you uh-huh. once you know who God but is don't
0: make assumptions about people um and we have this these such polarized views of people and we make so many assumptions and we put them into so many categories that we hear the word gay and we just make all these assumptions about how they're living and what they're doing. And, but the word gay can mean, you know, identity, it can mean feelings and attractions and uh, it it can mean lifestyle and behavior, you know, and I choose not to use that, the term, I, I haven't seen it be profitable, you know, and I, really healthy, but you're absolutely right. We need to get over making all these assumptions mm. uh based on based on labels and
1: identity. And that, that uh hypocrisy, that double standard is something that I've um, really been trying to focus on. It's the church's uh, main sort of view when it comes to things like sexuality is like, that's not your identity. Your identity is found in Christ. And it's like, you are absolutely right. So why are you focusing so much on that? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. It's it's like, if, if, uh, if homosexuality is not your identity, then why are you focusing on that rather than trying Just to that lead one them to Jesus? About me And, yeah, and we like, need to
0: see if the people are so much more than their sexuality and and that's one reason why I try not to define myself by that one area and the church needs to not define themselves or define other people by that one area and see that people are so much more than their sexuality but we tend to only care about that one area of their life yeah you know especially if you find out they're LGBTQ it's like we somehow think that that's the only reason why they need Jesus it's like no they need Jesus for a hundred reasons in their life right and we should look for opportunities to share hope with them and and look for a ob- little windows to their soul of where they might be misplacing their hope so we can apply gospel hope to their life yeah and and that might not be in the area of their sexuality uh, initially because maybe they're open to Jesus in other areas of their life first and yeah. we need to be open and sensitive to where they might be sensitive to their need for Jesus yeah
1: definitely. Um, I'm currently writing a sermon on the Samaritan woman in John mm. chapter four at the well, um, and it's just it's so so interesting reading into the history of all of it. Um, it's so so the relationships between Jews and Samaritans. It's it's very simply racism. Um, mm. to be to be frank, yes. it's all about pure bloodedness. The Samaritans are considered to be half Jew, half Gentile um and that's that's pretty much the only reason why there's this sort of distaste between them um and so whenever they're whenever they're having their interaction what the samaritan woman is focusing on is like why is this interaction even happening and jesus is like you are completely missing the point he's <laughs> like i'm the son of god like there is something so much more important important lying beyond the surface of this conversation about a drink of water um and so like he he manages to sort of get under this surface and and the woman is like retorting um, in kind of a sassy way. Um, and she's like, I have no husband. And he is like, you're right, you have five. <laughs> and and um, it's just, it's this mind-blowing conversation where it's, um, Jesus is not focused on this um, outer problem where... Um, she has um, she has this role as a woman, and this role as a Samaritan, um, and this role as as having five different husbands. Um, but like his focus is on this idea of a living water. He's like, you're not alive. Like mm-hmm. you have no mm-hmm. idea what it means to be alive. Um, and it's it's just it's so important to me because it's it's like he knows what his focus is, and his focus is not um, it's it's not anything else, but like the relationship with the woman. Absolutely. That's great. Well,
0: Logan, I've loved hearing your story and so much wisdom and you are a well-spoken and thoughtful and sensitive and smart and, uh, Uh, I I, I know that God's going to do some great things in your life. And I'm excited to um, continue along that journey alongside you. And I know that our paths will cross again. I know that our audience is going to be encouraged by your story and some of the insight you had to share. So thank you for sharing it. And maybe we'll see you back on here uh, some other time. Thanks, Brady. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on Calibrate Conversations, and we pray that as you go out there your week. You can uh, look at your life, and you can calibrate your sexuality to God's standard, and you can embrace God's standard, and that you can show love and grace and compassion to those around you. Make sure you check out calibrateministries.com for more resources and to see how you can support the ministry. Thank you so much.